Hey everyone, welcome back to Tequila Apologetics. I'm so pumped you join us. You're joining us today to have Dr. Tom Rudelius. Probably said the last name wrong again. Um, we're gonna be talking about like him, his work, and this book that's coming out called Chasing Proof: Finding Faith. Um, it's his journey from agnosticism to Christianity. And yeah, we're gonna talk about that. Uh, so welcome everyone for joining. If you're new, I encourage you to like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And if you value what we do, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash here apologetics. We're trying to have a little fundraising drive. We're looking for one new patron a month. So if you want to do that, that'd be huge. Uh, but let's get Tom in and let's get rolling. So Tom, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I think I'm like so excited that I talked like way, way too fast. Like I'm normally a fast talker, but I was just like, whoo, I was on fire. Like I'm like, I'm ready to do this. Um, so I'm excited. So a little bit about you, Tom, is like you can you completed your undergraduate work at Cornell. Got a doctorate of physics at a little school called Harvard um, and then postdoctoral research at Princeton. Um, you're a postdoctoral researcher in theoretical physics at Cal Berkeley. And now you're going to the UK to teach. Uh, is that right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, I'll be starting a faculty job at Durham University in the fall. Yep. Awesome. Well, Tom, do you want to talk a little bit about like who you are and like what you do beyond like kind of like that brief bio sketch I gave? Yeah. Um, so I guess... Um, as a researcher, I study um, string theory, early universe cosmology, and quantum field theory. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess the um, general field that I'm in is, is theoretical physics. And <clears throat> aside from that, uh, I'm also a Christian, as you as you know. That's kind of what my book is about: is is my journey of science, my journey of faith, um, and uh, yeah so talk a little bit about the book um chasing proof like finding faith uh it talks about like your journey right where you come from i believe it's agnosticism and like you become a christian like what inspired the book like what's the book all about like give a little sketch of that yeah so yeah as you said i i probably grew, grew up an, an agnostic um but to be honest it was more just like I, I was just totally apathetic towards religion um so it wasn't until my twin brother um, his name is Steve. Uh, he came to faith our freshman year of college and, um, he started talking with me uh, about faith and religion. And for the first time I had to like, start thinking about, you know, what do I actually believe about all this stuff? And, and so it's really the journey of, of like how, um, from those initial conversations with Steve, uh, starting to read the Bible, starting to go to church to see what it was like that, uh, that, yeah, kind of just like a lot of my preconceived notions about religion and about Christianity in particular kind of started to, to go away. Um, so, yeah, I think, I mean, it, you know, if I had to say one theme, I think really it's a lot of how, how my relationship with my brother really um, like impacted the way that I thought and uh, just a lot about our, our conversations that we that ultimately led me towards faith that's super cool uh and what i want to do for, like with the first part of this interview is kind of like talk about your story uh talk about like your brother and all these things because i think it's, it'll be really interesting um because yeah. like if you look at like your your cv like i was like doing some research before this and i was like goodness gracious like academic like heavy hitter like you got like cornell and harvard and berkeley and mm -hmm. going to teach and like you're looking at like your papers you've written i'm like oh my gosh there's all these scientific things where i don't even know what these words mean um yeah, right. and just uh -huh. like just all this stuff um and also you're a minnesota sports fan so i'm like ooh, that's rough so we'll kind of <laughs> yeah. that and hope for pittsburgh yeah. um so i don't know tom when we're thinking about like your journey and like kind of getting to where you are today like how does it start uh sorry could you uh you froze for like a split second could you say that last sentence again 
Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. So, like, when we're looking at your journey, uh, how, how do you want to start, like, explaining, like, how do we get to where we are today, where you're a Christian, like, science almost professor now? Um, how do you begin? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, man, I mean, I guess I guess I could go, like, chronologically. So, I grew up in, a, like, a very non-religious but very loving family. Um, there was, it was, you know, my family was very much focused on, like, academics and science. And, and that's something that I really probably like would have identified myself by as a young person, as a, as a um, high school student and beginning college, uh, you know, that science is something I like really believe in. And um, in some ways that's, that would, is where I probably would have put placed my like theological philosophical identity is like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm scientific. I'm like a, a rational, like reasonable person. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah, for me that, I guess like I kind of had this and inter- had internalized this notion from the culture that 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 sort of mindset is is like very different from a, a religious mindset. And so, um, you know, I didn't I didn't like hate religion completely. Um, I just didn't it didn't seem like the sort of thing that was maybe worth my time. Um, like there were just other things that I was more focused on school and sports and, and trying to make the m- most of my time in, in high school and then college. Um, and so my twin brother, Steve, who I mentioned, um, he was pretty similar. He was, if anything, kind of the more antagonistic of the two of us uh, towards faith. Like, I remember when um, we were looking at what schools to go to college at, like, even the thought the thought of going to any school with a religious affiliation was, like, completely off the table for him. Um, and, and so that's why I was very surprised. He ended up going to Northwestern University. I went to Cornell. And uh, his his freshman year of college, he met a guy on his floor named Matt, who was probably like the first really like serious thinking and yet also like outspoken Christian that either of us had ever met. And so it was through conversations with Matt that Steve ultimately came to faith. And and that's what that's kind of where I came in. And that was a big surprise to me because growing up, I, I certainly never thought that, you know, like Steve or I would become religious. But if you told me that it would be one of us, I, I would have definitely guessed me over him. Like it was a big it was a big surprise for me that, that all of a sudden he had come to faith. And, and as I say, that's where we started, you know, having these conversations. He tried to share a copy of the Bible uh, or specifically the new Testament with me to read. And I told him, look, Steve, I have trouble finding time to read books that I want to read much less time to read books that I don't want to read. Uh, like I just, as I say, I just, you know, I just seemed like there were other things that were more important to me in life. Um, but the more we started talking, the more he, you know, he, I started reading some other books about Christianity uh, I started reading some books. I read like The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, arguing against Christianity and, and the existence of God. Um, and kind of the more I read, the more it seemed like Christianity might be onto something. Um, and yeah, so I guess that's that's maybe the, the beginning of my journey of kind of like uh, how conversations with Steve started led, leading me to start thinking more about all this stuff. Hmm. So that's helpful, Tom. Thank you. So you have you and your twin brother and like you're not necessarily like against religion, but you're just kind of like maybe like apathetic towards it where you, you just don't like hold beliefs. Um, and your brother's even more on that, like against religion side, yeah. um, maybe not like holding pickets at like an atheist convention, but like, just like more than you. Um, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And then he comes, he comes to faith, uh, and you're, you're in university, right? When like undergrad, when he comes to faith. Yeah. we Yeah. Yeah. It was our freshman year of college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, like when he, when he came to faith, like, did you have like, 
formed opinions about like God and like things like this. Cause I think a lot of people think that like, Oh, like if you're some, going into science, like you're taught from like biology 101 or like chemistry 101 that like, well, God doesn't exist. And like we got evolution and like the big bang and all this stuff to explain it. Like, where were you at when he like became a Christian? Yeah. Yeah. So as, as I said, you know, I never really thought about it too much before. So when all of a sudden he came to faith and, and he wanted to talk to with me about it, I kind of had to like quickly assess like, okay, actually, what do I think about this stuff? Um, and, and I definitely was never like that, you know, that far of like science to like disproves the idea, disproves the existence of God. Um, like something I had, I had somehow come across, I can't even remember where I learned this, but I had, had learned like the basic idea of fine tuning that like the laws of nature, if they were like changed even a little bit, that somehow life would be impossible. And it's funny because I, I don't think I learned that actually in a physics class. Like none of the physics classes I had taken to that point in my life, I don't think would have talked about that. But somehow I knew this. Somehow I knew that like that like the universe, the laws of nature in our universe have to be really fine tuned to give life. Um, and even back then I thought, you know, OK, yeah, that, that does seem to suggest that there's something sort of like, you know, maybe some sort of larger purpose, some sort of higher intelligence behind all of this. Um, what I think what was a was like a big a problem for me and, and maybe like the first um big like domino to fall like the first thing that was like kind of, that kind of like kept me from believing at first um was the idea of miracles so like mm. I, I guess for me it's like okay i like you know I, I view myself as a scientific person and to me like it, it seemed like miracles kind of like forced me to um to abandon that belief to say that you know, oh, like the laws of nature just can like just break down, you know, and that uh, and so that that to me at first seemed like something that like that's where I drew the line. Like I believe that there's a God that kind of like, you know, got everything started and then let the universe run its course. But I had a like a lot more trouble believing in a God that would like intervene in the laws of nature in some way so is this like when you're at like you're at cornell you're kind of like processing through this where you're like you start to actually like you didn't like before steve becomes a christian you hadn't thought about it still too much um and then like steve becomes a christian and you're looking at like the data of like fine tuning and you're like oh like this could point to some sort of like designer or like or something like that but then you run into this problem of like also like miracles on the other end where you think that seems like it kind of goes against like what you know yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's where, yeah, so I guess kind of it for, you know, it's like, okay, well, I could see maybe this, this points to some sort of God, but the miracles made me think like, well, you know, I don't think that that sort of God is like the Christian God that, that Steve has all of a sudden embraced belief in, you know, mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know if I can buy that part of the story. Yeah, um, I got you, Tom. Yeah. What did you see in fine tuning? Because I think a lot of people come into the fine tuning argument with like either already is like having thought about these issues. Um, you kind of looked at it having probably not really like you're not like, oh, the fine tuning argument's a good argument or a bad argument. Like what got you with fine tuning to think that like there might be like a God or something like that? Yeah, I mean, well, it just seems like the sort of thing that one that like that that God, uh, a God of some sort, like is a pretty good solution to. And as as is at least as good of a solution as any other like candidate explanation. Um, mm -hmm. And I, you know, I didn't feel like, oh, this is like a knockdown argument. And like, this is like, oh, therefore God absolutely exists. But it, it was kind of like intriguing enough to, to push me towards agnosticism to feel like, okay, you know, this, you know, I, I can't, it seems hard, tough to explain this. It like, it, it seems like, 
it seems like the universe might exact actually like exist for some sort of larger meaning or purpose than just total cosmic random chance. And so, mm. um, so I think, yeah, I, I think, it, you know, it wasn't like, okay, they were believing that. It was like, okay, yeah, this, this seems like a pretty good argument. And, um, uh, you know, it, at least makes me kind of intrigued to, uh, about theism. Okay. So you saw it like as a good argument. Like what, like, were there like certain examples of fine tuning that you looked at and you're like, oh, wow, this is like really impressive and like maybe like hard to explain like a, like an atheistic view or something. Oh, I, I definitely can't remember like which ones I saw back then. I mean, even today I'd say, you know, like I think, uh, I think the question of like which one isn't, isn't really like necessarily the best question because like as soon as you see, you see a couple of them. I mean, like the cosmological constant problem is like, the biggest one where like the vacuum energy of our universe is like 10, 10, or it's, uh, it's like 120 orders of magnitude, like smaller than what you'd naturally lead it, uh, lead, expect it to be. Um, mm. But I think, you know, you see that one or, or even you, you know, look at like a couple of other things, like the mass of the proton and the mass of the electron and, and this sort of stuff. And I, I think you don't have to look at too many to say like, okay, so something's going on here. Like this isn't random chance. There has to be something else that's explaining that that this and mm -hmm. and i would say that you know even if I, whether you're an atheist or, or a theist like you you definitely don't want to go on just like okay all the laws are just this way by random chance like there you need some sort of god you need some sort of multiverse and or, or something like that so yeah i don't think that like specifics really mattered to me that much back then i, I just and i still don't think the specifics matter to me all that much right now um mm -hmm. fine-tuning is real the question is like how do you explain it Okay. Yeah. That's, that's helpful, Tom. So you're here at Cornell um, and you're yeah. kind of like, oh, well, there's fine tuning and like, this is pushing me to, towards like theism. But then there's like this problem of miracles where I'm like, eh, I don't know about this. Uh, what's next for you in your story? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think, I think like that's intellectually, there was kind of like the, the process of like maybe re rethinking revisiting what what i think about miracles and kind of getting over that hurdle i think though that it would be maybe dishonest to say that you know or to to paint, portray this as like a totally intellectual uh sure. thing because there's also the aspect of like what am i actually experiencing um like i remember so one of the first like encounters i had with with christians was at steve's baptism steve got baptized after our freshman year of college and i went to to his uh to his school in, in evanston illinois to um to be there for his baptism and and that was like the first time i like went to church with him uh which was my first time at like a more modern church with like mm -hmm. drums and like you know like rock mm -hmm. christian worship music um <laughs> yeah and also just my first time you know getting to talk with all of his friends and uh and you know all the guys at his baptism and I think, you know, coming in, it's kind of like, oh, I expected, I mean, the view I had of, of religious people is that they tend to be very judgmental. And I was kind of like worried about them looking down their nose at me. Like I was, I was kind of like trying to like hide the fact that I like wasn't religious, you know, so that I wouldn't like stand out. Um, but I think, you know, even just being around his friends for a little while, I remember them making, they like were making jokes about like imaginary books of the Bible and like really like corny Christian jokes, which mm -hmm. I was like, okay, these guys are actually like huge nerds. But, but also they're like, they like weren't judgmental, you know, they just seem like, like pretty normal kind of like nerdy guys, you know? Um, and I think, so I think that that was kind of an impo important 
component as well is that I had a lot of these preconceived notions um, about what, what religion was like, about what religious people were like, and uh, about what church was like, you know? And, and so kind of like a, a lot of the story too was, wasn't just like wrestling with like uh, the, the, like the classic arguments, like problem of evil and suffering and miracles and, and the fi and fine tuning and those sorts of things. Like there was that component too, but there was also that component of just like, kind of like, what is religion? What does it mean to be religious? What does it mean to actually like live this life? And a lot of those notions, the, the preconceived notions that I had um, turned out to be incorrect. Mm. I really appreciate that, Tom, because I think if someone thinks that like they're like, you know, their journey towards like a religion or like away from religion is like purely intellectual, like where it's all like chalkboard, like these arguments, um, they're really not realizing that there is this whole like emotional uh, experiential side of like our journeys in our faith. Um, so I think that's super important and that's super normal to kind of have that experience where I guess for you, you go and you see your brother, Steve get baptized and you see this like group of believers around him who are all like, actually like kind of like normal ish human beings that like to like right, have yeah. big jokes and have fun. And like, so that made a big impact on you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, you know, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, I grew up where my identity was kind of like in my rationality and like, I believe in science and stuff. And, and then I get around them and it's like, okay, these guys seem like pretty rational guys too, you know? Mm, um, yeah. Like, like maybe the, the things that I've kind of relied on in, in thinking about this aren't enough. And especially, you know, something that Steve found that really like shocked him the first time he had a conversation with Matt, this Christian guy on his floor is like, Matt knew so much more about this stuff than Steve did. Um, mm. And that's kind of what I found too, you know, starting to talk to Steve, starting to learn. It's like, man, you know, I've called myself, I've thought of myself as being this like rational person, but I know like nothing about this stuff. You know, I kind of just like come to this conclusion without really doing much research at all. So I think that was another thing that, you know, being around all these guys who were like, you know, college students at Northwestern, Steve's friends, and yet also, so like smart, you know, smart guys, and yet also like believed in God. It was like, okay, maybe like my reasons for why I didn't have to engage with this stuff just weren't quite right. Mm. Okay, that's helpful. Like, it kind of made you realize, like, like wow, there's a lot that we don't know. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful, Tom. So, what's next for you after like Steve gets baptized? Yeah. Okay. So after Steve gets baptized, we uh, we're both home for the summer, and uh, so like summer after our freshman year of college, we're actually in Minnesota, where our um, where our mom lives at this time, and so we. Um, that, that's where, you know, a lot of these conversations take place. We start talking a lot more. Um, I remember there was one day that, uh, like, Steve, I asked Steve, like, hey, what do you want to do? Uh, which is a question I asked. When you have a twin brother, like, that's kind of, like, the question, right, of, like, you're bored. Well, okay, well, I'm surely my twin will have, like, some idea of something we could do. And mm -hmm. I asked him, like, what do you want to do? And he said, like, let's do a Bible study. And I said, I was like, oh, man, I, I don't want to do that. Can we like go do something fun, basically? Um, and, and we did. I think we went, we probably like threw a football or something for a little bit. Um, but later, you know, as I was thinking about it, it's like I thought back to, to all the way, all the times that Steve had done, like nice, nice things for me, things that he didn't want to do. Um, in high school, he ran track and I played baseball, but he would still like go to, the, to a field and throw me like batting practice a lot, um, mm -hmm. even though it was, you know, he didn't play baseball anymore. It wasn't really helping him. But I thought about all those times and I was like, okay, you know what? I can do this one for him. So, yeah. Uh, so that was like our first, my first Bible study. And we went through like the first chapter of the gospel of John. 
And uh, so, yeah, I think that's, I think that story, you know, it illustrates something that was really important, which is kind of just like Steve's, Steve's love for me and, and his persistence is really what um, like got me to, to go down this whole path in the first place uh, that he was like pretty adamant about, you know, like he really wanted to share his faith with me. And, uh, and also just like the fact that, you know, he loved me so well, it was kind of hard to say no. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think, I think, you know, something that was interesting by the time we left, by the time I left that, uh, you know, after summer and I went back to school in my head, I was thinking like, man, I feel like, you know, I feel like St- I've really learned a lot. I feel like Steve's made some really good points. And I was kind of like almost on the verge of like, like calling myself a Christian, you know, it was like, I think I might believe this stuff. But it's funny from Steve's perspective, he said, um, he told me this recently, that like by the end of that summer, he, he he kind of just thought like, all right, it just seems like Tom just isn't interested in this stuff at all, you know, that he just mm-hmm. like doesn't really care. Uh, and so I think that's, I don't know, maybe like a um, a lesson to be learned about like, the, the, I don't know, just Steve's like persistence and like there was something that even when he felt like I just didn't care at all, that he kind of still like loved me enough to still have those conversations with me. Um, and so it was making a big impression on me going to church with him over the summer, having the conversations, reading some of the books, even though he couldn't see it. Mm, that's really cool, Tom, um, to see how like Steve, like his persistence, even though he didn't realize it was making a difference, like it really did make a difference in you for you. And I think that's inspired, like that's inspiring for me. And hopefully that's inspiring for people listening as Christians, like keep pursuing the people that don't know the Lord in your life because you don't know if you're making an impact or not, maybe you are and you just don't even realize it. So yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah that's definitely. helpful. So what's next? Like this, you're talking about like the summer after your freshman year, right? Uh, yeah. Where he's making this like in, big influence on you. Uh, you go back to Cornell, like, yeah, where does it go from there? Yeah. So, okay. So that's where, um, kind of a totally different aspect to my story comes in. I, uh, I applied for some summer internships that year. Uh, so like for the summer after my sophomore year of college, and I got a conditional offer from the NSA and I had to go in and take a polygraph. Um, mm-hmm. And my feelings for the polygraph were actually kind of similar to, to my feelings t- towards like religion or, or, mm-hmm. or heaven, you might even say, which is like, hey, I'm basically a good person. You know, I haven't done anything seriously wrong. I'm going to be fine. Uh, yeah. So, so I went in to this polygraph. So yeah, it's like trying to get a, you know, like a top secret security clearance. So they ask these questions to me to make sure I'm not like a terrorist or like, you know, like sell secrets to like mm-hmm. the Russians or something like that. Right. <laughs> um, and, um, and what I realized pretty quickly taking this test is like, okay, I, I'm like, I'm failing here and, and I'm going to continue to fail. Not only if I'm lying, but just if I feel guilty about anything. Um, mm. So, uh, so for like four hours, which is like the, the amount of time that these things are scheduled for. So it was like four hours. And I spent almost all that time just kind of like confessing one thing after another, other, like all these things that I'd done wrong in my life. Um, mm. And that was kind of like the moment where somehow the, like the message that Steve had te- been telling me um, really like clicked. Like I, I remember having this conversation uh, with Steve dur- during the summer, uh, you know, during our, our, one of our many conversations about faith where we had this kind of like heated exchange about whether people are mostly good or not. And I was like adamant. Yeah. Like I think people are mostly good. And he, he he like wanted to say like, no, everybody is like, everyone is like sinful. Everyone's um, done wrong. You know, everyone is, is like, 
um, broken and, and separated from God. Um, and I guess, yeah, my, my worldview to that point was just kind of like, oh, no, like, come on, like people, you know, we're generally good people. And then there's like a few bad people out there kind of. Um, but in the polygraph room, you know, having to share for like four hours, all these things I did wrong. I started to realize like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm actually maybe not as good as I like to think I am. Um, mm -hmm. Deep down, down I've, you know, I've done a lot of things I'm not proud of. I'm not as good as I think I am. And, and all of a sudden, like that message, like the first half of, of the gospel message that like, I am that like, I am sinful, that I've like, that I'm a sinner, that I've like, done wrong, that, um, yeah, that, that like, I, I need forgiveness. That like half of the message all, all of a sudden started making sense to me and making sense to me, uh, you know, out of my own life and out of my own experience, kind of like, well, okay, you know, if I'm finding all of these things inside of me, probably that's true for everyone else as well. Um, and, and so when I kind of got that, all of a sudden, like the rest of the gospel message made sense to me that like, oh yeah, like that God, you know, it, he stepped into our story that he's given away for all of us sinful people to like have a way back to him. To, to be able to have forgiveness and have life. And that's what, what Jesus is all about. So it was kind of like before that, you know, I was starting to believe, like, you know, I believe starting to believe in God. I was starting to get over this, this like question of like, are miracles possible? Starting to believe even in like the resurrection. But, but there was still like this, this gulf of like, is this something that I really need? Is this something that I really need to devote my life to? Because I feel like a pretty good person, you know, even without, even without religion. And so that was kind of the moment that, that things really clicked for me. Um, and it was the moment that I, looking back, would say was like the, the day that I actually became a Christian. Mm. Well, praise the Lord, Tom. That, that's amazing. Where it looked like, if I'm understanding your story, you, as you head into this polygraph, which would this have been like the summer after your, like your sophomore year for thinking chronologically? Uh, it, like when it would have been first? like, it was actually in, it was like January. So like the, the, the winter before my sophomore, so the winter of my sophomore year of college. Okay. Like, trying yeah. to get an internship for the summer after sophomore mm -hmm. year. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And at this point, like you've kind of like you intellectually are almost like maybe like you're there, like you believe in God then like you're thinking like, I'm, oh, this resurrection. I'm like really thing. close to being there. Yeah. If not, mm -hmm. they're already, that's right. Yeah. 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 And you take this polygraph and it makes you realize like the weight of like your sin and like all these things. Um, what about the polygraph like drew that out for you? Like, that kind of realization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it was just like, yeah, having to like share, you know, like, I mean, I really had to get into like kind of like deepest, darkest secrets that I could think of. Right. Because mm -hmm. it's like, well, if I don't share them, they're going to be weighing on my conscience. And when they ask a question, like, have you ever done any serious crimes? Like I found myself kind of just like immediately going to like, what are the worst things I've done? Um, mm -hmm. So it was just like, I mean, yeah, it, it was like, I've never been to like a Catholic confession. But I imagine it's pretty similar, you know, to like, just yeah. like I had to get it all on the table. And, and so that's kind of like, yeah, I mean, it really, it really started to change my whole perspective. Like, think about doing that for like four hours, right? Like, it's like yeah. going through the, the full list. Like, um, mm -hmm. yeah, so, so it really just kind of, it really just changed how I viewed myself. And, um, and yet what was kind of, you know, incredible is I didn't, I didn't leave there that, that like polygraph room thinking like, oh man, like I'm such a terrible person, you know, like I hate myself. Um, I, I really left like feeling just like thankful, like, man, you know, this is exactly the sort of stuff that, that like, that like this, this God, this Jesus that I've heard about is supposed to come and like forgive, you know, that they're like, 
that's and that was like uh, you know part of the message that really got to me is that like you know there's nothing you can do that is like so bad that god like won't forgive it you know that Mm. that his forgiveness is just that great and so i actually left like feeling really really like upbeat like man it felt really good to just like share all those things and get them off my chest and and somehow i just like know that i'm forgiven for that stuff and so that was actually pretty awesome Mm. that is really awesome praise the lord tom so that's kind of like that part uh you have this realization like when you're taking the polygraph uh and you said like this is kind of like the moment where like you kind of realize it and like become a christian what happens like to you from there yeah um well i remember like sending um i sent like steve kind of like a a facebook message that's what the kids did back then is we (laughs) we communicated by like uh AOL instant messenger and Facebook, uh, Facebook message. So I sent him a Facebook message at like 1am or something. I I can't remember why I was up that late, but it was like, you know, just telling him like, you know, I think I've become a Christian. And, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it was, I said, you know, like, I still don't feel like I've maybe like figured out everything. Like I still have questions, but I feel like somehow like that God has just reached out to me the last few days. Um, and so when he got the message, you know, he was like overjoyed. He was, he was apparently like crying. Um, mm-hmm. I obviously couldn't see that, but he told me later that he was like so happy. And so the next day he called me and I was flying, I was flying back from my interview uh, with the NSA. So I was, I was at the airport and, um, and he called me and he asked me like, so, Hey, so like, would you say that you're like ready to put your faith in, in Jesus? And I actually like hesitated. I was kind of like, man, I, like part of me wanted to be like, oh man, like that's going to be really be a big life change. And I wasn't sure like, oh man, do I really want to do that? But it was kind of, but then I also, it was kind of like, well, you know, if not now, then when, right. If like, mm-hmm. if this isn't the moment of like, God's reached out to me and, and like called me to him, then like, shoot, not, then, then nothing is right. So it was like, okay, I'm in. And, um, and so, yeah, so we prayed together. That was kind of like the first time I, I prayed as a Christian. And um, yeah, so I guess that was, that was kind of like the next big moment is uh, I said I was a Christian. I said I'm in. And, uh, and yeah, we'll go from there. Mm, that's pretty amazing. So you're still an undergrad, right, when this is all happening? Um, yeah, still a sophomore, sophomore in college, there. yeah. That's yep. amazing. Praise the Lord. How did – I wonder, like – if you don't mind answering this, like how did your family react? Cause you said you, like you didn't yeah. grow up in like a Christian home and all of a sudden within like the span of a couple of years, you and your brother are both Christians now. Like, like what was that like? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say on the whole family was remarkably positive. Um, hmm. like something I, I remember my, my mom, when, when I went off to college, um, she left me like this long handwritten letter, which, which I still have somewhere. Um, and, you know, like she encouraged me to try new things when I went to college. And one of them was going to church. Like she's like, you know, we never went to church growing up as a family, but like you should, you know, give it a shot. Um, and and so, yeah, so she was like she was pretty positive about it. And I remember like when when I told her a few months later, like I, I think like that I'd become a Christian. She was like really actually like really happy for me. Um, and right around that time, she actually started going back to church herself. I'm not sure. I can't remember if it was like before I did, it was like just after. Um, but I think it definitely had something to do with the fact that Steve, you know, Steve came to faith our freshman year of college. I came to faith our sophomore year of college. I think it was right around that time that she kind of like decided that she was going to get back into it as well. Um, mm. So I think that, so yeah, my mom definitely very positive. 
I think my dad, you know, my dad um, is like maybe more was and is more hesitant towards faith. I, I think he would probably call himself an agnostic now. Um, or he might say he believes in God, but maybe not like the, you know, exactly the, the like Christian God completely. Um, but uh, I, I think my, my dad too also is like pretty, pretty remarkably positive. Um, and, and, you know, to right now my, my twin brother actually works in campus ministry at, at Northwestern where he went, where he went to school, where he came to faith. And, uh, and like my dad is, is probably like more supportive of his than, than some of my like, Christians, friends, Christian parents are of their ministry. In other words, like I have Christian friends whose parents are like, oh, you should be doing better things with your life, even though they're, they're Christians. And my dad, who's not a Christian is like, well, you know, if that's what's going to make you guys happy, then like, you know, if like if working ministry makes you happy and that makes you feel fulfilled, then like you should do that. And so I think that's something that, yeah, that's been definitely like first and foremost with my family is that I never is it is kind of like no matter where I was theologically and spiritually, I like never once for a second like doubted how much they loved loved me and loved Steve and um, and that's true for our extended family more generally. Like we're close with our aunts and uncles and grandparents uh, and all of them have always been really supportive. On the other hand, it's also like not all of them have agreed with us, you know. And I, I have had some like kind of intense conversations with my dad, like arguments about the existence of God. I've had some arguments with like grandparents and stuff like that too. So, um, so yeah, I think I, I really want to say, you know, like there's never kind of like, Oh, now you're out of the family. Uh, no, like they always definitely completely loved us and accepted us. But, um, yeah, especially at the beginning, I think not really knowing, you know, I was very excited about my newfound faith, but maybe we didn't exactly know how to talk about it. Um, in like a respectful way They kind of that, that would sometimes lead to like butting heads with some of my family members. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Tom. Uh, so you become a Christian, right? You're still an undergrad. Uh, you kind of like, you, you confess that to your brother. Um, where do you go from there? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I guess the next thing is my brother wanted me to like find a church. Um, and I, uh, I mean, I, I still didn't really like felt, feel like I felt, I didn't feel like I b belonged completely in Christian spaces. Mm -hmm. um, like I had met enough relatively normal Christians by this point in my life, of like from Steve's friends. But I was also just kind of worried. I, like there was no guarantee that the next Christians I met wouldn't would, would be like that. Mm -hmm. um, that they'd be relatively normal people. And so I was just kind of like worried. I was very hesitant. I didn't do anything, even though Steve, you know, pushed me to try to find a church for a while. Um, but I just randomly happened to play on an intramural basketball team with, uh, with a guy who was on staff with the, with the campus ministry at Cornell. Um, his name is, his name is Nick and, um, kind of a cool story from his perspective. If, so, uh, you know, I've, I've heard about like what he, what, uh, he's told me later, like kind of what was going on in his life. You know, he was, um, he was on staff with campus, campus ministry. He was married. He had one or two like young kids and uh and he so he decided to play like intramural basketball and just we happened to have some mutual friends who was on our team and it was like the last game of the season and he was like out in his car in the parking lot and just felt like man like who did I really do this like intramural basketball thing for you know like because it's like man I've got all these responsibilities 
and you know i have my ministry that is really like the thing that matters to me and is this like actually just like a useless thing you know that i'm out here playing basketball uh like and so so we just like prayed to god that he'd like have an opportunity to just like talk about faith with with just like someone on the team uh and uh and then right like so right after the, the game uh i knew he was on staff I knew that Steve had been trying to get me to like get involved with some sort of Christian community. And so it was like, okay, man, this is the easiest chance I'm ever going to have. So after the game, I just went up to him and was like, Hey Nick, you know, I just became a Christian like a couple of months ago and I've been trying to find it like a Christian community. Um, and so Nick was like really ecstatic, you know, like he'd like just prayed for this in his car that he'd have like this chance, this opportunity to talk with someone. Um, so, uh, so he like, he really like took me under his arm. He started bringing me to church with him. He started bringing me to his like small group Bible study. Um, and, and so, yeah, Nick, Nick was kind of like after, after Steve, he was like the second guy who kind of like took me under his wing and was kind of like my spiritual mentor to, to start walking me through like, not just, you know, what does Christianity teach, but how do I actually like live this out as a person? Hmm. That's really cool, Tom. Um, so they help you at Cornell, like, where do you, and you join a church, like, where does your faith, like in your story, like, where does it go from there? Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, boy. Um, oh, there's so many things that have, have happened, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of like, what's, what, what is like the main, the, the next main thing that happened? Um, I guess, I guess maybe like going to, going to grad school was kind of like the, so I, you know, I, or so, I, you know, throughout my college experience, I was like learning, I was growing in my faith. Um, and uh, actually, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should step back. One other thing that was kind of happening at the same time, my, like my spring year, spring semester of my sophomore year of college, right after I'd become a Christian, um, I took this course on the New Testament from, uh, from Cornell. And um, it was something that, that Steve had kind of like almost like warned me against. Mm. Like, like, you know, most of these classes are taught it's at, at, you know, non-religious universities like Cornell. Most of these classes on the New Testament are taught by like atheists or agnostics. And, uh, and they have like a pretty, uh, I don't know, like skeptical view towards a lot of the, the New Testament. Um, so he was like, okay, you know, you should t- take the class. That'll be, it'll be probably, it'd be good for you in some ways. But like, if you find yourself like questioning your faith, kind of like, you should let me, like, let me know. Cause he like, there's yeah. you know, a lot of, a lot of arguments against that. Um, so I went in and yes, in, indeed, like no surprise. Uh, like the class was uh, used like the, this textbook, the introduction to the new Testament by Bart Ehrman, who, who you may know, uh, like mm-hmm. he's uh, pretty outspoken, like, um, critic of Christianity. He has like some debates with, with a bunch of Christian apologists. Um, and the professor for the class was like a former grad student of his. Um, so like a lot of, you know, a lot of kind of like the standard stuff of like, oh, these books weren't actually written by the, the authors that they're attributed to, um, you know, mir- you know, like miracles are impossible uh, or at least so improbable that as a historian, we can never say that they happened. Um, so was, there was kind of like a lot of that, uh, perspective like th- throughout the course uh there were times where it just felt like 
okay, is this course actually trying to teach me something or is it just trying to like pick a fight with like, with like Christians? Um, mm. So um, it was an interesting course, I think, especially to take so early on. I, I actually didn't ever have like that faith crisis taking it like, oh man, I've been lied to, you know? And, and I think it, it was, it was helpful that I'd kind of approached Christianity with a more intellectual perspective that, that some of the things I could kind of say like, oh, I don't think that's really quite true. Or like, I don't think everyone agrees with that. Um, mm. But something that was, I think, a couple of things that actually were very useful from that class. The first one, and maybe the most important one, is that I all of a sudden really learned a lot about the New Testament. And that, that's mm. something that, you know, growing up as a non-religious person and then going to like Bible study, you know, all the kids there, had grown up, grown up going to Sunday school their whole, whole lives. They knew like all these Bible stories and I barely knew anything coming in. <clears throat> but by the time that course had ended, you know, having actually read the entire New Testament, um, I probably knew like more than about the New Testament than most of the like Christians around me who had grown up with it their entire lives. So I think that was a really valuable thing is just being able to read scripture and being able to, to learn about it. I, I think the course was also important for me in kind of shaping like where I put my priorities in faith. Um, mm. You know, for some people I know they'd say, you know, like kind of like, the, the, you know, the Bible, it, you, like it's the inherent word of God. And as soon as you like lose one thing, you, the whole thing's gone, you know, like, oh, as soon as you have like a non-literal interpretation of Genesis one, well then this, and then this, and then this, and then you can't even believe in the resurrection. Um, and, and I realized pretty quickly on that that couldn't be my like route to faith. Because, you know, the teacher would say something like, here is the reasons why First Timothy wasn't actually written by Paul. And it's like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if this, if all these arguments are completely convincing, but like, hey, I'm, I'm just like a sophomore in college. I barely know anything. There's no way I'm going to be able to like disprove all of what the teacher is, what the professor is saying. And, and even if I could, like, I'm not sure if that's the route, I, that's just not the route I want to try to take, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so kind of for me, it, it made me sort of think about what, what are the priorities in my faith? Um, yeah. And so for me, like, I think what I would say then, what I would still say now is that to me, you know, my, my experience of God and the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is like enough for me to give, to put my faith in Jesus. Like it's, I mean, like, think about it. It's like Jesus actually rose from the dead. Right. Then like, that's it. You know, Christianity, mm -hmm. I'm in, I'm in, you know, whatever you say, Jesus, I I'm, I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow you. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's like, yeah, like inerrancy and like my, my view of like the authoritativeness of scripture that kind of comes out of that. But, um, but I don't feel like I need to believe that, you know, that like all of this stuff that my teacher is wrong about all of this stuff in order for me to still have faith in Jesus and still have faith in God. And so I yeah. think it was an important course in kind of like shaping my priorities as a Christian uh, of like, what are the things that I absolutely need to fight for? And what are the things that I can kind of like, you know, still kind of um, explore and, and make up my mind about later. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's super helpful. Um, thank you, Tom. Cause there's a lot of like valuable things that you brought up. One of which is like, I had a similar experience to you. I was reading this book. Um, 
by Josh Bowen. He's just talking about surveying like Old Testament issues and like he's an atheist scholar. Um, mm-hmm. And he's talking about things like, you know, like, oh, like when was Daniel written or like, oh, yeah. what about like the failed prophecy of Tyre? And I'm and I was reading these things. I'm like, OK, like you got good points, jo- like Josh. Um, yeah, and I'm right. like, like I could go into like and spend five years of my life trying to figure out like how to respond to this. But at the same time, it's not that I don't care. It's just like, well, Jesus rose from the dead. I have these experiences. I have good reasons to think that God exists. And I'm going to stick with like my lane um, and kind of yeah. go from there. And I, and I think that's an honorable position to take. Uh, not saying it doesn't matter. Just saying that like we just we just can't get the answers to everything in like the limited time we have here on earth. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, you know, OK, maybe, you know, if I if I wanted to become like a Bible scholar. And some people should, right? Like some people should actually go that route and maybe and like try to wrestle with all these things. But mm-hmm. I think what you say, staying in my lane is like the right thing. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to worry about the physics. You know, the physics is like mm-hmm. my, my lane right now. And beyond that, I think what, what's important is that I have the, I have enough that compels me to believe that compels me to like give my allegiance to God. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the resurrection is enough to do that, you know? Um, yeah. And it's like you say, I, you know, I don't think it's important to understand it's i don't think it's unimportant questions of how do we interpret scripture how are we supposed to read this how how do we read genesis you know those are those are important questions i think but um i guess to me no matter what the answer is that's not going to be enough to to like lead me away from faith and so that's kind of the yeah it's it's a question of what's the priority mm-hmm. okay yeah that's that's great tom so now thinking about your story right like you become to faith like as as a christian like at cornell and then you go off to graduate school at Harvard um, where you're pursuing physics. And it's like, oh, uh, a graduate school called Harvard and pursuing physics, probably not the most like Christian friendly place in the whole world. Um, what's life like for you there when you go to Harvard and work on your PhD? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, um, I mean, something I think I've, I've found can kind of continually is, is like, it does seem like they like faith is something that it, it almost feels like in my experience, like at higher levels, the higher I've gone up, kind of like the more, I wouldn't say that there's like more faith, but it, it feels like maybe like less antagonistic towards faith. Hmm. Um, where, yeah, at Harvard, you know, I ran in, I had like classmates and stuff who were like really strong atheists. But I also had like, I remember like, like one professor there hmm. who, uh, I, I wasn't in this class, but I heard that he suggested to his class that like, God might be the best answer for fine tuning after all. And, and like, mm-hmm. he wasn't even, even, even a theist, you know, um, there was other, there was another professor there who was a Christian. I think probably more uh, like uh, maybe didn't, didn't completely uh, see eye to eye with me theologically on a lot of things, but, but still with, you know, was a Christian would have called himself a Christian. Um, and so there's kind of, you know, I saw, I ran in as far as faith wise, I ran into a pretty diverse spectrum from like really strong atheists to, to Christian, um, and other, other faiths as well. Uh, so, so yeah, so I guess I, I saw that. I think when I think of going to, to grad school though, the kind of like the thing that sticks out in my mind is, um, my around like Christmas time of my first year of grad school was the first time that I had like a real like faith crisis of, um, just like this time of like really terrible doubt and anxiety and, and fear that the religion I had come to was was just like completely wrong. It, it was almost kind of like a waking up one day and being like, wait, do I like really believe all this stuff now? Yeah. And um, 
And so, yeah, that was like my first time really struggling with intense doubt. And, you know, looking back, um, what I realized now is that actually what I was really going through wasn't so much just like doubt. It was, it was really like anxiety. Like it was really like a mental health crisis that I was having. Mm. It was kind of playing itself out in the arena of my faith, but, but really it was just like anxiety. Um, Cause I kind of felt this, like just this compulsive need to like try to prove to myself again and again that, that like, yes, that I'd made the right call in, in believing in Christianity. Um, but it was the first time that it was like, yeah, really, really tough in, in like intense anxiety. Um, and yeah, just a really, a, rough, a really rough season that lasted for about six months. Mm. Anything else with like Harvard and like your faith journey? Like, I don't know if you want to share more on that, or if there's something else. Yeah. Just kind of leaving it to you as you're going through this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, let's think. Is there anything? I'm trying to think of what, I mean, yeah, I mean, I eventually kind of like eventually got out of that that season. Um, yeah, really intense doubt. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there was kind of like a lot of growth that was happening during that time at Harvard. Um, mm -hmm. It's where I started like giving talks about science and faith. Uh, and at first they were, I think, pretty mediocre at best as I look back. But um, that was kind of like kind of the vision that I'd had in going to grad school was you know, being able to like become an, like an excellent physicist, but also being able to like use that to, it's kind of like a platform to be able to talk about my faith. I think that's kind mm -hmm. of, you know, that was kind of like where I had the vision of, you know, it's like, oh, I'd like to write a book someday. And now that book is actually coming out. So, yeah. um, so it was kind of like, yeah, the first, first kind of like dabbling in that uh, arena as well. And something that I grew at, grew better at. Um, I kind of got, I feel like I got lucky as far as my career, um, but I just like kind of stumbled across some kind of big discoveries throughout the course of my PhD that um, propelled me to success, I guess I would say, um, at least so far as like a researcher. Yeah. So um, yeah, kind of like a really tough, tough season of anxiety at the beginning of grad school, another tough one at the last, my last year of grad school. Um, but a lot of, just like kind of like growing in terms of science, my journey of science, growing in my journey of faith. Hmm. Talk about the physics. Like what, what are these physics discoveries that you, that were happening like as you were working on your doctorate and stuff? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I can talk a little bit about string theory for a second, I guess. Like string theory is this theory um, of so-called quantum gravity. It's, it's like the, the best, option we have the best uh like theory we have that combines quantum mechanics and einstein's theory of gravity which is called general relativity and it combines them in a consistent way which is a very very hard thing to do um mm -hmm. so string theory is like that's kind of its big claim to fame is that it's you know the last in some sense it's like the last missing piece of, of the puzzle um for understanding fundamental physics is putting quantum mechanics and gravity together but um the problem with it is that at present, it, at present, there isn't really any like experimental evidence for it because just the, the 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 experiments, like the energies that you need to test string theory experimentally, are just so far above and beyond anything that we're capable of technologically as a species. So the goal then of uh, of part, at least a good chunk of my research, 
is to try to like uh, figure out more, maybe more creative ways to extract text testable predictions from string theory that may not be able to be tested like at particle accelerators, um, but maybe they could be tested say through like cosmological experiments through telescopes or something like that. <coughs> Excuse me. So, so that's what my research is, is focused on. And uh, I guess it was my third year of grad school that I, I made some discovery that some models that people had written down of the early universe. So think like uh, just like a fraction of a second after the big bang. Um, so they're, they're like a zillion models uh, of, of that time. And mm -hmm. there were, there were certain ones though that were kind of more popular. And what I showed is that those models actually are like very tightly constrained by string theory. Um, and so <clears throat> it's kind of, I think I, I heard it said that, uh, by, by someone else, not me, that this is like the closest that string theory has gotten to like a testable prediction. Um, it's still not nearly as close as we'd like, but it was kind of like a, a surprising result and got a lot of people excited that, you know, well, maybe, maybe like string theory has more to say that it can like place tighter constraints that it could maybe make for, more predictions for co cosmological observations than people had previously appreciated. So mm. I think, you know, looking back, it's like, well, that didn't quite, Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe the optimism wasn't completely well-founded, but what it did do is it, it really like caused a big shift sociologically in terms of the way that the field approaches some of these questions and uh, just like the sort of projects that people are working on. So, um, so that was kind of like, yeah, like a big, I would say I was, I wasn't, I wasn't the only person, but I was one of the people who kind of like, um, led to this like big shift in the, in the, like, in the way that um, string theorists, the way the string theory is done. And so that mm -hmm. was like my big, my big first, like kind of big claim to fame moment. It's the one that um, I would say has got, landed me a lot of the jobs kind of led me along the path that I've been on. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that's, I guess that's kind of on the physics side of things, what was going on for me at the time. Mm -hmm. So you like your work, like you try to you, the success was like that you could get like string theory and like help it like map to like their early universe to help like refine it. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, basically. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like if you can place constraints on the early universe from string theory, then you can go and actually test if that's like true. Cause if those, if those constraints are like violated, then that would mean that like string theory is wrong. Okay. All right. I think that's, that's, the, right. that's the like, that's the like ideal situation. Um, in practice, it's a lot like thornier than that. It's a lot more subtle, but like, that's kind of the, that was kind of the hope is like, Oh, maybe string theory can rule out all of these models or it can like tell us that these models are wrong, which means that if somehow the experiment shows that the models are right, then that would mean like string theory is actually the one that's wrong. Mm -hmm. that was the, okay. That's the logic. That's the hope. Not mm -hmm. eh, it's, it's, it's too optimistic, but that's kind of the hope. Yeah, got you, Tom. Well, I'd love to talk more about this physics stuff in a minute. But when we're thinking about like your face story, like you talked about like Harvard and like giving talks and like starting to like work on things, getting through this first big period of doubt, like as we're getting closer towards like the present moment of like 2023, yeah. um, like what else is there to share with like that you'd want to share about like your faith journey and like getting to where you are today? We have this book coming out in August. Yeah, mm. I mean, I think. 
yeah, in like recent years, I think kind of a, a lot of my journey has been, um, you know, I've, I've had like a few more of these like seasons of really t- like rough doubt and anxiety. And so um, I think part of it has kind of been learning how to like get through those moments kind of like uh, through, you know, through those difficult seasons and being able to like coach other people who have been going through, through similar things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from an intellectual side of things, um, I've, um, you know, if, when I look back, I think that there are, you know, some, some of the like doubts that I had early on, some of the things that really bothered me, like miracles and stuff. I feel like I, I feel like I answered that. I like kind of got that one answered pretty quickly. Um, I think that today, you know, there's kind of, there are a few like things that still um, like questions that, that still like bother me um, that still maybe take up like the, uh, the most of my like theological apologetic headspace, I guess, which yeah. are um, probably the two most significant ones are like the hiddenness of God. Like mm-hmm. why isn't God just like completely visible and evident to, to all of us? And, and also just like some of the, the stuff that you read in the Bible, like a lot of the, like the, I love the Bible, you know, like so much of it is, is so beautiful to me. And that was like my story of coming to faith was, was in large part, my story of like reading the new Testament and just seeing like being introduced to Jesus. And so I, I love that it has done that. Uh, but I also struggle a lot with like, you know, what about all these like crazy commands in the old Testament? And what about, you know, like God? God, you know, telling the Israelites to go and like wipe out this, this people, you know, and, um, and so, yeah, so I think kind of like that's, that's, those have been the questions that have like been the most, um, I don't know, that have kind of turned over the most in my book. I, I kind of talk about those for a bit, you know, and kind of the answers that I've, or at least partial answers that I've come to on those, on those sorts of things. But I think I'm also, I feel fortunate that like, you know, there's kind of like, for me, there's like, the, there's the like doubts that are like actually just anxiety that's like crippling and terrible and like can't get out of bed. Uh, but then there's also kind of just like, the, like the mysteries and the questions that are like persistent, even, even like now where I'm not in a season of anxiety, but it's still like, man, I'm, I'm confused about that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, why is God doing that? Or like, why wouldn't God do this? Um, and so I'm kind of, I feel fortunate that I'm not in like a, such a terrible season right now. Um, but I think that, yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of like interesting questions. There's a lot of mysteries. Uh, and I guess that's why people like you exist to try to like answer those questions and to think about them. But um, yeah, so those are some of the questions that I've been like, you know, that I've been thinking of, about chewing on um, in the last few years. Mm-hmm. It's hard because I feel like as soon as like you get like a somewhat satisfying answer to one question, then like 10 more questions pop up. Um <laughs> And that's the challenge. Um, yeah, one of the things that's been most helpful for me um, is thinking about like Pascal's wager, because I think that a lot of times, like, like when I first thought of that, I was like, oh, it's like, oh, you're like trying to force yourself to like believe Christianity or something like that. But then I learned that like Pascal's wager is more about like a commitment that like, 
it's like it's about that commitment of like even if maybe you're not like totally convinced or like there's days where like you really struggle with like believing in god or something like that you know that like it's still rational like you could argue it through the wager to like to commit to that belief to continue to like do those things like pray go to church all those things that even through that doubt uh it is rational to just like have that commitment um because of the possibility of knowing god uh so i think that was something because for me, there's yeah. things like there's things that over even like the past few weeks as I've been having more time to read that have popped up where I'm like, oh, shoot. Like I was like, like reading Josh's book yesterday. I'm like, like the dating of Daniel. I'm like, holy goodness gracious. I got nothing for this. And I really don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. then I'm like through that, like I can I can know that it's it's rational to commit even through this. Um, and maybe one day I'll look at some of the answers. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I actually have a blog post called Pascal's wager revisited i think that's like basically mm -hmm. exactly what you just said i yeah. think kind of a big um some like books that i read in uh, that in the last few years that have really um influenced me one's called um one life by scott mcknight and the other one is called um salvation by allegiance alone by matthew bates um which also has a forward by scott mcknight and um and what bates what bates is saying and what what McKnight is kind of also saying to some extent in his book is that, um, you know, when God, when Paul, you know, writes about faith when God calls us to faith, that, that, that doesn't primarily mean like intellectual belief. Um, and I think, I think we kind of all know this, right? Like James writes, like even the demons believe um, that, you know, somehow we all know that like what God is calling us to primarily isn't just like intellectual affirmation. And I think that can, that can be a little bit hard for someone like me, who's like very much an academic, like an intellectual that <clears throat> I tend to view the approach to the like question of God as like an academic question to be solved rather mm -hmm. than like a being to like love and worship and obey. Um, yeah. And so what Bates is saying, you know, in salvation by allegiance alone, he's saying, you know, the, the kind of faith actually the Bible is talks, talks about is really probably better translated as allegiance. That that's really what God wants from us. Not that, you know, so it's not that I would completely be free of my doubts um, and my anxieties and my fears, but that I would continue to follow God through those doubts. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, especially in those really tough, difficult seasons of doubt and anxiety and fear, that like, it's like one day it's like, okay, man, I feel, I feel good. Like, I feel good. I think Christianity is true. And the next day it's like, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what to believe. And um, it's kind of like, okay, if my salvation were kind of at the whim of like my mood, you like, it's, you know, it's just like going crazy. Right. Um, but, but I think that that's kind of the thing is that like, that ultimately that's not really, you know, our salvation doesn't go like this, that, that really like what God wants from us isn't just like belief that he exists. What he really wants is for us is that we would submit to him, right. That we would give him our allegiance and worship him as our King. And so, you know, I think, belief can be tough to control in those, in those really difficult seasons, but I can still choose to take the side of God against my doubts. Um, so mm. I think that's something that's given me a lot of peace of mind, um, through some of those difficult seasons. Yeah. Well, amen to that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about like the physics side of things and like faith yeah. and physics, is, but is there anything you want to share with regards to like faith in your story before we end that part of this? No, I feel like I feel like we've covered a lot of it and everything else that isn't covered is probably covered in my book. So, uh, yeah, I think we can leave that there. Yeah, let's talk physics. Awesome. So I commit this as someone that is not a scientist. Um, 
And it's just like trying to like, I think these things are super cool and I want to like understand more. Um, so I'm like, Oh, I get to talk to like a dude that's like doing all this like heavy academic work. Um, yeah. First off, like wondering like about like physics, what was it like, like being a Christian in some of these like environments? Um, because I think a lot of people are like, Oh my gosh, like Tom went to like Cal Berkeley and Princeton and Harvard and Cornell and like all these schools that like hate God and all this stuff. Um, yeah. What was it like actually like working as a Christian, like doing your research and whatnot uh, in your time there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, this is a question that I, I do talk like I, I have a whole little section on in my book because I feel like I've been, this is the question I've been asked like a zillion times. And it's the one <laughs> question I've never really felt like I had a good answer to. Mm-hmm. And, and writing the book, I realized kind of the reason is because there isn't like one answer to this question. I've okay. had so many different experiences where like, there have been a couple times where I was invited by some other school to come and give a talk on my research and they took me out to lunch and they kind of just, and someone would like bash religion the entire time without realizing that like, Oh, I'm actually like a Christian. <laughs> like I'm actually. Christian. So like that, that has happened, you know, I've had that happen. Uh, but I've also, you know, I mentioned, you know, I've had faculty who, who, uh, who were religious. I've had um, a number of people, even of, of other faiths, like a couple of, Jewish people, I'm a Muslim, um, like, you know, just like tell me that they like really admire my faith and like thank me for my, the stuff I write, I've written about like science and faith and stuff. Um, <clears throat> and I've run into like Christians too, who are like just really strong, strong Christians, like really strong in their faith. And so, yeah, I guess I'm, um, gosh, it's been, it's just been such a mixed bag. I think that I've definitely never felt you know, although, you know, maybe like the lunch table, you hear, you know, some people kind of like make snide remarks about faith. I've definitely never felt like I was um, being like discriminated against or looked down upon. I think, you know, there, there are some people who would probably be like, oh, you know, Tom, is like Christian, whatever, that's kind of weird. But like, you know, we can push that to a side, push that to the side and like still like do science together and still do physics together. And so I think that's something that... Um, yeah, on the whole, I'm, I'd say I'm like very, very much thankful and appreciative, kind of like with my family. Same, same thing with my like physics family, if you will, that yes, we, it's like we can disagree. And then we can also kind of just push that disagreement to the side and be nice to one, one another and like get stuff done. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think that's on the whole, on the whole, not really a super positive or negative experience, but definitely, definitely, I think I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the experience that I've had. Gotcha. Yeah. So now, Tom, thinking about like string theory, I know like just like basically nothing about string theory. Um, And one of the only like memories or like things I know is I remember listening to a debate between I want to say it was Sean Carroll and somebody um, where they talked about like how string theory like would give us answers maybe from like a non-theistic perspective about things like fine tuning or like the origin of the universe. Um, As a Christian, like, that's done a lot of work in, like, string theory. Like, what could you tell other Christians about, like, what string theory could or could not entail? Yeah, well, first of all, I think it's worth saying that, you know, string theory is controversial as far as not really having direct experimental evidence for it. So it could be, it could just be wrong. But I think the bigger thing, actually, to me is that, um, you know, that at this point, our our understanding of string theory is very limited. I remember growing up, like, like uh, when I first started reading like popular science books about string theory, some things I learned about string theory is that string theory has strings, like particle. what well, we used to think of particles are now strings. Uh, string theory has these 
things called brains, B-R-A-N-E-S, that are like objects that are higher dimensional on which strings can end. And another thing I learned about string theory is that it predicts like 10 to the 500 different universes. So like (coughs) universes like like ours, but with slightly different laws of physics. And um, and this uh, that last thing would be relevant for fine tuning, right? Because um, you could imagine like this idea of a multiverse, where if you have a zillion universes with all different laws of nature, then maybe some you know some of them will have uh, the right conditions to allow for life. And of course, by the anthropic principle we'll find ourselves living in a universe that allows life rather than a universe that doesn't allow life. Because if it didn't allow, if our universe didn't allow life, we wouldn't be in this one, right? Because it it wouldn't have life. So we can only find ourselves living in a life permitting universe. Now, I think that there's something to like, uh, you know, the the multiverse picture, there's something to the anthropic principle. Like there, that's a line of argument that I think is like a, a good, that's definitely the route I would take if I were an atheist. But let me say that having actually like, come into the field of string theory now. We know really with really high certainty that string theory has strings. We know with really high certainty that string theory has brains. We really don't know how many universes string theory allows. Like hmm. the 10 to the 500 number is based on a really loose um, like estimate. It could be 10 to the 272,000. That's another estimate that's been given. It could be way less than that. We don't actually really, we haven't constructed any like not even a single example of a universe in string theory with a positive cosmological constant, which is the, like the universe we live in has a positive cosmological constant. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so it's kind of, I think, uh, I think a misleading marketing from the popular science, popular science uh, of string theory is that we teach these things, these ideas from string theory is if they're all on the same footing, string theory has strings, string theory has brains, string theory has 10 to 500 universes. When I, to- when I told some of the other physicists this at a, at a conference le- recently at lunch, they like literally laughed at that last one because the last one is just so much more controversial than the first two. Um, so string theory may well have 10 to the 500 universes or more, quite possible, but we really don't know. It, it, you know it, it's the sort of thing that a lot of people in my field are kind of like working on right now, but not really, not really known how many universes string theory has not really known if string theory has enough universes to solve fine tuning. The other thing though is, you know, the older I've gotten, the more I've learned about this. I think that um, really science, and, and this is, I guess, related, is that even with all that we've learned about science, even though, even with all that we learned from string theory about the possibility of a multiverse, I think we're really not that much further than like a philosopher would have been 30, 40 or more years ago, if they just said, you know, one way to solve fine tuning is if we just have lots of universes out there and they have different laws and maybe then some of them happen to allow for life. I don't think we've really progressed much beyond that kind of like dream as, as physicists to this point. Um, I heard a talk from Nima Arkani Hamed, who's like a really top physicist at the Institute for Advanced Study. And I think he said it well that uh, the, mu- the multiverse isn't a theory, it's a cartoon. It's our idea of what might be going on. So that, that's, where, that's where the multiverse is at right now. I, I think though that even if, even if a multiverse is right, even if there, is 10 to the five, if there are 10 to 500 universes in string theory, slightly different laws, I, I think that actually only really solves maybe like 
a, a quarter of the of the issue with fine tuning, because mm. even if you have different universes out there, and even if they have in like observers, self-aware beings, that still doesn't mean that those observers are going to be intelligent. And that's kind of a big thing with with some multiverse models is that you run into this problem where the overwhelming majority of observers that exist are just these Boltzmann brain fluctuations that like pop into existence and make an observation and then fluctuate out of existence. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, I think that the question of how do you, you know, getting observers is one thing, but getting intelligent life like us, you know, a world full of beings that can interact and seem to have moral values and duties and have emotions like love and can experience beauty. All of that I think is like, is well beyond what any multiverse is going to do for us. And so to me, a multiverse can maybe, you know, it can maybe get a little bit of the way. It can, I think a multiverse could explain why conscious minds exist somewhere. But so many other features, so many other facets of the human psyche, uh, multiverse just isn't going to be able to do a very good job with. And so to me, it's an intriguing thing. It's the, I would definitely believe in a multiverse if I were an atheist. I might still believe in it as a multiverse as a theist. But I don't think that it completely resolves the issue of pointing. Hmm. Okay, that, that's really helpful. Thank you. But that was a long-winded answer, but uh, hopefully that. No, was but it, there's useful. a lot here, and there's a lot that I'm sure you could say that um, beyond this, you've done a lot of work on this, and it's a complicated theory. Uh, one more thing that you could say a lot of, about, but you, yeah. ask, you don't have to. Um, what do you think about like the beginning of the universe? Because I know some Christians like will claim like, oh, like like science proves the beginning of the universe, and some will be like, ah, we're jumping to our conclusions a little bit too soon. Um, what yeah. like working in early universe cosmology? Like, do you have anything to yeah. say about that? Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, um, boy, I think I, I I see I think errors from both sides. Um, I think that. Let me start with the issue of that, that I see maybe from more from the skeptics. Um, I think there's this, I, you know, there are these ways out there that you could like somehow. So, so sorry, let, let's talk about what, with what we like know for, for with very high confidence. You mm -hmm. go back in time. So if you go forward in time, the universe is expanding. If you go backwards in time, the universe is contracting and it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And there comes a point beyond which, uh, you know, when the universe is like <clears throat> the size of the Planck, Planck scale, which is like 10 to the minus 34 meters, if I remember right. So really mm -hmm. small. I at that point, like the known laws of physics are going to break down. That's where string theory becomes important or whatever the right theory of quantum gravity is. That's where you can't, you, you can't separate quantum mechanics and gravity. You need to put them together and... We just don't know how to do that. String theory, we know some parts about something about string theory, but we, we don't know this about string theory. We don't know what's going to happen like at the Big Bang. Um, and so the question is then, what, what do you make of that? Like, <clears throat> it seems like by the known laws of physics, there is a beginning. But you could imagine situations where maybe you get back to a beginning of the universe and then there's somehow like more time after that and maybe there's like kind of the cyclic thing where there's like a big crunch and then it expands and then it crunches and then it expands again <clears throat> the, th the problem with this though i think i think a lot of those those like ideas are overblown like what we know is you know like everything gets as you go back in time gets smaller and smaller and smaller 
And eventually it's like so small that we just don't even know what anything what to, to do with it. Mm -hmm. I think it would be weird if like the thing that happens is that somehow it just gets like big again. And somehow there's just like more time. Um, so I, I think that it's definitely more likely than not that our universe has had a finite amount of time. Uh, you know, that, that like you go back in time, a finite amount of time, and then boom, you run into quantum gravity and you really don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Now, so, so I think that, you know, ideas of like how to like get rid of the big bang are, um, are like for, you know, how to get more time so that our universe doesn't begin. I, I can't see any reason you'd want to do that unless you just like want to be able to avoid have the, the, the idea of the beginning of the universe altogether. So I don't, I don't think that that's very likely. Now that's not to say, and there's some, you know, some people who out there uh, like Stephen Hawking and stuff, who want to try to make a way to describe a universe, like the beginning of the universe. Um, and for some people, they, they, this seems to be like equivalent to like getting rid of God's place in the whole picture. But I think <clears throat> like, even if you had a, a, a theory for how exactly the universe like begins and how it comes into existence, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've like completely eliminated the, the need for God. Um, like Stephen Hawking, he wants to like have this like one state uh, this particular state as like the initial state of the universe. Okay, fine. But like, why couldn't God have just chosen a different state, right? It, it, there's nothing like that forces God or, or nature with a capital N or whatever you want to say to pick this particular state. So I think that kind of it's, it's maybe, there, there's kind of two different, there's different questions that could be asked. And maybe there's some scientific explanation, but, but there's still the question of like, you know, what, who, cho who chooses exactly what is the particular state of the initial mm -hmm. conditions for the universe? Um, so there's still that. There's, there's kind of like, you know, even if you have some answer, it doesn't mean that that, that completely removes the need for God. But even, even beyond this, I, I guess what, what I'll say like to the Christians, I, I'm, I'm not convinced that this is the best way to go because I think when, you, when we talk about like the beginning of the universe, um, a lot of, and, and trying to make that, sort of cosmological argument for the existence of God. Part of it is that we just don't really know what's going on at the beginning. We don't know, like, once quantum gravity comes into the picture, like, what's going on. Um, but also, I mean, I, th I, th I think that there, you know, there, one can avoid some of these issues by arguing for different philosophies of time. Um, and so I think that, that those sort the cosmological arguments that are based on, like, the temporal nature, that, that they're only being a finite amount of time, tend to be um, a little bit subject to like one the question of what is your philosophy of time. I think that the argument that like uh, the physicists, the, like Christian physicists I know, including me, seem to all find more compelling is the contingency argument. Mm -hmm. That like, like, why is there anything at all? Um, that is a question that, you know, whether the universe has been around for a finite amount of time or an infinite amount of time, uh, why is there a universe at all? I think it's still a good question to ask. And, um, and I think that theism has a better answer to that question than atheism does. Mm. Well, thank you, Tom. That's super helpful. And thank you for shining a little bit of light on definitely a very like challenging and complicating, um, complicated subject. So one more question for you, and then we'll start to wrap up. 
you got Minnesota, you got four teams. You got the Vikings, the Twins, the is it the Wilds? Is that the hockey team? The Wilds? Yeah, the Wild. Yeah. And then the Timberwolves. Who wins a championship first? What year is it gonna be? What do you think? Oh my gosh. Well, at this rate, it'll be like long after I'm dead. Um <laughs> it's a pretty pretty incredible. So far, the twins are the only team that have won a championship in my lifetime, and I was a year old. Um I should <laughs> mention the Lynx. Minnesota Lynx WNBA team had a dynasty oh, yeah. for a little while. That was fun. But um, of the like four major North American men's sports, I'm gonna pick. I think maybe the. Oh, it's either. I either gotta go Vikings or Twins. I'll go Vikings. I'll say uh, within the next ten years. Wow, uh, that's ambitious. I'm just being hopeful. I don't know who's gonna have- quarterback. Kirk Cousins isn't gonna win a Super Bowl. They need someone else. Uh, I, I don't know if I agree with that. A lot of people <laughs> say that. I think in the NFC right now, Kirk Cousins is probably like the second best quarterback because the Ooh. NFC is pretty weak. So Ooh. as long as that happens, as long as we've got Justin Jefferson and Christian Derrisson, TJ Hawkinson, I feel like we could do it. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. You know, I agree with a lot of what you said today, but that last bit, I uh, there's a lot I could say. Uh, <laughs> On uh, Kirk Cousins being the second best quarterback in the NFC? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, What's your Wait, who's your team? Uh, the Steelers. I'm a Pittsburgh fan. So oh, okay. Oh well, we're in, a, we're in a rough season. You're in the but... AFC. We can we can we can have different. Uh... Yeah, we got all those killers we have to deal with every year, and I just go back to like 2008 and 2005 when I was a little kid and we won. And I'm like, good memories. We'll keep those away in the bank for probably a long time. So those are good. Uh, yeah, yeah, good days in Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tom, thank you so much for coming on today. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for sharing like your story and your work. And yeah, it's been super helpful. So like with people, like I'll put a link down below for the book um, where people can like check out the book. Uh, this will be released probably like late July. Um, and then maybe share like how can people connect with you? And then like, what are you working on uh, in the future? Great. Yeah, sounds good. Excellent. So how can people like follow you, connect with you, like things oh, like that, Tom? How can they follow me, connect with me? Um, so you can follow me on Twitter. Um and if you want to connect with me, you can probably send me a message there. Um, yeah, my book, you could find Chasing Proof, Finding Faith. Um, you can find that like on Amazon or christianbook.com or on t- uh, directly on Tyndale, the publisher. Um, so, yeah, that's probably probably a good place. I also have a blog uh, called Veritas Christo at Ecclesiae. I should probably come up with a better name that isn't so hard to spell. But uh, it's the it's the motto of Harvard uh, and a bunch of other schools it means tr- truth for Christ in the church. And uh, yeah, so check out the blog, too. Oh, I think you froze. Are, am I frozen? I don't know.
Well, I don't know if I'm going to put this in the podcast or not yet, but thank you everyone for tuning in. Have a good one and God bless. We'll catch you next time.